Welcome to TechTastic, the podcast that explores the cutting-edge world of technology and its impact on society. New breakthroughs and developments are revolutionizing the world around us, presenting exciting opportunities as well as complex challenges. We'll explore the big ideas and key players driving these transformations as we seek to understand the implications of these advancements for our lives, our communities, and our planet. Join us on this journey of discovery and exploration as we navigate the fascinating and ever-evolving world of technology. This is TechTastic. So Patrick Williams, welcome to It's TechTastic. It is so lovely to have you here. I'm happy to be here, Christian. The topic that I want to talk about with you is, okay, so I'm an artist and a technologist. I have been my whole life. I don't know which came first. I don't know if I went towards technology because it was a creative outlet and it was so abstract, or if I just found a creative outlet in it, but I've always considered those my left and my right hand. They're two parts of me. Nice. And with the emergence of AI, well, the, the modern transformer-based generative AI, both of those things are under threat is what it felt like. Ah, interesting. But I don't think that's actually true. Mm. In a very visceral sense now, I have the opposite reaction. I feel like it's giving people the creative potential. They can just now take intent and desire and put it into something and get an outcome that they maybe didn't have the skills to do before. Mm. So in a very real way, it's unlocked creativity. This is so timely because my wife has been doing a tremendous amount of work inside of image manipulation with some software and she's taking her street photography and her photography and then for better word mining pretty much anything that she can come across with that understanding of the difference between derivative and transformed right mm. so if it's derivative excuse my german you can get fucked by <laughs> which you should, right? Because yeah. it's it's somebody else's image. Yeah. But if you're transforming it, then, and of course there's a lot of grayness in there and fuzziness in computer language or reference, but clearly transformation is happening. So I'm super happy to hear that you're inside this process because it's, it's new, it's completely new and uh, it's fascinating. The topic of creativity itself and how important it is as we move forward if all of a sudden our technology has the potential to mimic human creativity, it can write books, it can create new images, what's left for humans? Mm. My belief is it always needed context and it always needed that creative spark, the inspiration from which to begin. And so now as humans, we've always been dreamers, we've always been storytellers. We have a new tool that allows everybody without having to master writing of literature or oil painting to go and create. I'm happy that you used the word mimic because I think it's a very, very important and distinctive spot to highlight because of what I, and it's interesting, I'm reading a book right now called uh, Non-Computable You by Robert J. Marks. I highly recommend it. I, and I'd love to discuss this after you have read it. it the <laughs> middle part of it is very detailed with respect to uh, the web of mathematics inside the concept of computer programming. I can follow it just by climbing the El Capitan, right? It's like, I'm gonna get there, I'm gonna keep reading. And on one level, there's a kind of intuitive understanding that I'm grasping, and some of it is math background in general. But what's 
fascinating is that he continuously comes back to the concept of the difference between creativity with respect to humans and creativity with respect to computer programming. And the limitation is with respect to algorithms. We, you and I, and all of our fellow artists in the history of making things, have always been connected to those non-algorithmic qualities of ourselves, consciousness, cognition, uh, and especially creativity. And he's been in this field for like, since the early 80s. Wow. And uh, he is staunchly in the camp of so far, and it doesn't seem possible at any point, it seems, because things like the Turing halting issue, and that they can't be non-algorithmic. And, and where in the space of their hardware or their software could a non-algorithmic event take place? Yeah. Is that, did so that the, make sense? It does. AI never has desire. It can't, right? Because it's not actually alive. It doesn't have the need for prestige. It doesn't have the need for food and water. And so it never has desire. And without desire, you can't really have inspiration. Right. I, I love that because it does mean that you have to live for you to, to truly be creative. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Yeah. The only pushback I could have on that is that we can give technology anything we want, really. I mean, it might take far more compute power than we have today, mm. right? But uh, we can tell it your desire is to make everything a paperclip or to make maximize the efficiency of creating paperclips. And then it's going to make everything in the universe a paperclip, right? Because that's its only desire. Right. So we can give it desire, but it's never going to generate its own sure. desire based on needs because it has right. none. And that to me is the safety net. And that's why I actually think human creativity plays such a vital role moving forward mm. because nothing is going to happen without it. The computer will just sit there and do whatever the heck you tell it you want it to do. You, exactly. But you're, you're giving it the want. Right. True, true. In some ways, maybe it's true because it's so outrageously simplistic, but my paintbrush is... <laughs> The tool as yeah. the AI is the tool. There's lots of, I don't even think nuance is the right word, but maybe startling differences, right? But it is essentially how do we use this tool employing our, you know, all of that specialness that we have as human beings that's non algorithmic. We can't program that. I can't program what the taste of uh, salmon off the grill is like yeah. for me. Right. It doesn't happen in that algorithmic world. So how do we use this tool? And that's, I, I think that's one of the most remarkable things that we have happening right now. But it does bring up the question that, I, that I'll get asked mm. for certain after this episode, which is, for example, because my wife's near me and she sees the stuff that I create, she doesn't find herself to be particularly creative. Mm. Now, I know that's not true. I've had interactions with her where we did something and she demonstrated extreme mm -hmm. creativity. But a lot of people don't believe they can be. And so they see what AI is capable of and it's, and they're like, ah, now I'm invalid mm. because the one thing I have left is creativity and I don't have it. How do you coach somebody to find their inner creative or just show to them that they, they have that? Right, well, the first point is to remind them that they had it when they were a child. All of us from zero to seven, eight-ish, you know, it varies from individual to individual. But think back to when you were four years old or five, and it wasn't like deciding to be creative. You just went outside in the best of all possible worlds, and you did stuff. You made things up. You made up games. You made up uh, situations where you explored and you became a character. You, even though if you're borrowing the character from a video game, you're still creating a new scenario. 
to, to act out, to explore and discover. So that is what I believe assists people the most in some ways is them just acknowledging, you know what? Yeah, I was creative when I was a child. But this begs the next question then, mm. both how do I get back to that? And second, what caused me to go away from it in the first place? <laughs> yes. So addressing the second question first, I've developed, essentially I call it my philosophy of creativity. And within that, that slow attrition is what I refer to as creative colonization. Hmm. So it's taken directly from the sad but true historical qualities of humans going to another country and taking over and colonizing. To do that effectively, they take away their traditions, and sometimes they take away their language, their religion, whatever their, their art, they're taking it all away. And I chose this word specifically because it has that very intensity to it that children are having their creativity colonized out of them. It's being taken from them. They have basically, and one of the easiest ways to talk about it, is that kids have less and less time mm, yes. to be creative. And, yeah. and inside that realm is play, imagination, and creativity. And in the literature, inside of education, those three things are what happens when we learn. Or when we learn, those three things happen. They are essential. Children do not learn unless they're playing, using their imaginations, and being creative. I also posit that all of us learn that way. It's subtly or magnanimously different when we're adults. But when we are learning something, we're having fun. If that's as much as we need to acknowledge that we're playing, then that's okay, it works. But the creative colonization happens slowly. Basically, it just kind of rips the creativity out of the children. And then we get to a place where what I call creative collapse, whether from a single event where the teacher says, you can't draw worth beans, in front of the yeah. whole class and that just crushes the child i've had people tell me this and they never draw again or it's just the slow siege of the castle of your creativity the army's out there and they're not going anywhere because you're going from first grade to second grade to third grade and it's surrounded your castle of creativity there's a whole bunch in there. So one of them was uh, what I have always called poetic time. Mm. I have been hired by companies to inject a digital DNA. And what they really meant was like, we need to be innovative. We need to be transformative. Yeah. We need to be forward looking, right? Which is creative. Yes. But a lot of it is creating playtime or what I always call poetic time, Perfect. right? Because I've never, ever had a profound insight that allowed me to change something by banging away at it. <laughs> no. Right? The only way it ever happens is like, maybe I go take a shower, but I'm relaxed. Right. I go for a walk, I go play ice hockey or whatever. I do something Absolutely. that isn't this, yes. right? So we create that environment in a, this is what startups are pretty good at too. Like, yes, you are banging away, but like, you're also having fun with each other. You're like, you're throwing around crazy ideas. You're trying to do things that are impossible, right? Totally. You create that environment. And I had one very large, very famous company where we did this and the leadership team loved it. They would bring in the board of directors, they'd bring in investors and star athletes that were, you know, part of the company and they'd bring them in and show them what we were doing. And the amount of amazing things we created, it was nuts. And it, it looked like we were never doing anything, but we were right because sure. it was just such a creative factory. The next leadership team came in and they're like, you guys are spending all your time playing. 
you would be so much more productive <laughs> if we took away all the toys, right. right? You know, which were like circuit boards and soldering stations. Sure. And like, I mean, we were playing with the things right. we were doing, but uh, they took that away and the productivity collapsed. Totally. Nothing new came out. And I explained it to him then. I said, no, to be innovative requires you to be creative. And to be creative, it requires poetic time. Perfect. I give exercises in domain shifting, right? Ooh. So I just did a, a workshop online from Australia last week, and I gave them homework. And the homework was for the month of September, take your team, or if it's just you, you go. But you have a journal, and that's one of my other items that I say is absolutely necessary to restore your creativity. But I tell them to go to a jazz concert, or not necessarily a concert, but just a jazz venue, with the idea that you're there and your team project is there with you, right? So let's say you have a team of 10 people, you go to the jazz venue, you're sitting around a few tables, and you have your, your journals out with you, you're listening to the music, but you're also jotting down ideas. Next month, you go to a museum. The month after that, you go to a poetry reading, poetry slam, it doesn't matter, just some spoken word event. The month after that, you, if you're lucky enough in a way to live in a city that has these, but go to three buildings that are essentially famous in your town and spend time outside of it, spend time looking at the building and actually seeing it and seeing why is this important? You know, people say it's important, but why is it important? Then go inside and then study the interior and do the same. Like you said, it pulls you out of your world of banging on you know, your computer, <laughs> trying to figure it out. So, and taking walks. Those are the, uh, walks are so important. Especially if you can get in nature. I don't know why it is that like green spaces and bird singing really has an impact, but it does. So yeah. take your shoes and socks off and stick your feet in the grass and or the sand or whatever you can. Yeah. And, and, and that will absolutely spark things. Yeah. I, I can't I can't say what thing it will spark, <laughs> just like you. You know, yeah. it, with, with everybody soldering and running around and doing stuff, you can't say, oh, that's why you had that idea. We don't, it just comes out of somewhere. We were modifying Nerf guns to get off the safety features so that we could shoot down quadcopters at a greater distance with the Nerf guns. And sure. that's how we came up with the idea for Nike Plus. And, and like, there's no connection. No, right, right. But it did. But it did. Yeah, it right. was in that moment that everybody's like, wait a second, what if we did this? It's like, we could do that? Well, nobody said we can't, let's yeah. go, <laughs> right? That's awesome. The creative colonization thing like hit me really, really hard because mm. it's I, you're trained it in school to some degree. And some of us are lucky enough to have escaped that by not having to go through traditional schooling, right? And so yeah. that helped protect that part of my brain maybe. Mm -hmm. And so when you said that, I was like, oh, oh, I see it everywhere. I, I see people trapped by it. But the same thing with like the time, Mm. I know that I grew up with a ridiculous amount of free time. I wish I had it today, but mm -hmm. you know, as a kid, I was off miles and miles away from my home, riding my bike, yep. going to the woods, playing with my friends. We did all kinds of stuff that if I had kids, I never would have let them do. <laughs> right. Uh, right? Right. But I also know that like those experiences, mm -hmm. how that impacts your ability to connect, like the thing that people will often say to very creative people is, how did you connect the dots between A and B? Mm -hmm. Well, because I had experience with A and I had experience right. with B and I went, hey, those have this in common, maybe. Exactly. 
There was one more thing in which you said that really stuck out to me too, which was the colonization and the collapse piece. And we actually make that worse in the way that we train people even in their careers. And I was thinking totally. I was thinking of art school and architecture school in particular. I did both. Mm -hmm. And in architecture school, weirdly this helped me. It was brutal. The critiques were brutal. Mm. I mean, you did not survive. Like if you weren't crying at the end of every one of your critiques your freshman year, you weren't in architecture school. Right. But what that allowed me to develop over time was like, I honestly don't care what you think. Like it doesn't matter because it's not that I don't care what you think. We can't escape that we're human. Right, right, sure. It's that it's no longer my sacred baby. You can drown it. Right. That's not important. What is important is that we end up at the solution that works for us. You're my customer, mm -hmm. yeah. right? That's what they want totally. as an architect. Right. As an artist, we do the opposite. For sure. Mm. We protect your fragile ego and we don't allow you <laughs> to take criticism. Yeah, in, in a way, but I, I think it's, in a different situation, the the critiques can be that way within an art department also. I was lucky to have a really crazy, wild painting professor, the best in my school, according to me and some other <laughs> folks. According to the department, not so much. Yeah. You know, this, this guy lied about his age to get into a fight in World War II. Oh, wow. And then stayed in Paris and went to the Ecole des Beaux Arts and got a degree. Wow. You know, this this young kid from Oklahoma, and he had a, a loft space in New York City for years, and he was just a remarkable human being. And we would have drag out, yelling, screaming arguments about his work, my work, anybody else's work, art history. It was invigorating, right? Yeah. And it taught me that not to be, that it's too special, it is special because I did it, you know? So it's, it's special to him because he did it. But just to have that ability to fire off whatever, I hate that part of it, I like this part, but this, why did you do that? All of those questions are necessary. So I'm super supportive of that sense of critiquing and uh, just experiencing those kinds of situations. And I think it's really important for teams, entrepreneurs to experience that also, that there has to be a moment when you just, everybody, we're not holding hands right now. We're not gonna be, you know, don't be horrible. Yeah. Ad hominem is not a, a good <laughs> way to go, but just be real as honest as you possibly can. Well, you have and to. I think that's that's super. Yeah, because the market's not gonna be kind. No, yeah, right? right. <laughs> exactly, right. You maybe, you know, held your hands all the way through making the widget and you put the widget out there and nobody buys it. Right. Well, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> that was the ultimate critique. You were wrong. So, We've got to fix it. You now. were wrong. Yeah. yeah. We were all wrong. <laughs> Let's try it again. Yeah. So. That was the thing that I've struggled with with teams too, because you, especially because they've been under assault, that colonization of their creativity has been happening so long. Absolutely. When you're yeah. trying to get people back to it, you do have to be protective of it. You've got to yes, nurture it, sure. right? Yeah, yeah. But there does have to be that moment where we're like, okay, okay, guys, this is not about you. It's not about what we did. It's not about the work that we did. It's about the result of that work. And we need exactly. we need the right results. So let's be honest, let's go through it. Right, exactly, totally. It's tough to find that moment, mm. right? Because if you wait too long, this is the fail fast entrepreneurial thing, I'm, mm. which I'm not a big fan of calling it fail fast to start with. I think right. of it as like, I have a hypothesis and actually my artwork's this way. My artwork is always a hypothesis. I'm gonna mm. tell this story, I want this emotional impact, whatever it is, and I'm gonna try it. Mm. And I hate most of what I create because of that. 
because I mm. learned from it. I learned that I didn't get the emotional response or the story didn't come across the way I wanted. It didn't get what I wanted. And that's okay. It doesn't make me hate it. doesn't, well, I do hate it, but it just means that I need to move on and do something else. You need to push deeper right. into attempting to get that to happen. Right. And that's, yeah. that's the part that like, it's hard to get that balancing act right. I'm nurturing your creativity and I'm trying to pull you back towards it. But if we wait too long, it's too late. We've exhausted the resources we have. We needed to fail earlier or we needed to learn earlier. Right. That's a better way to put it, I yeah. think. Yeah. There, there's a little sexiness and bad boy quality to the fail yeah, fast. I know. Fail off. And, then yeah, I, yeah, and yeah. I get why that's what people grasp onto it. But I'm like, you're sure. learning the wrong lesson. I don't want to fail. I want right. to learn before we fail. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know what's interesting about that, I feel, is that it's what I know the best is within visual arts, making, doing the sketches and making possibly the preliminary drawings. It's like, no. No. Yeah, thumbnails no. and sketches so, are great. Yeah, so I don't feel like it's failure. That is not what I want. Yeah. So we just go on. I'm not going to lose sleep over, I don't like that preliminary drawing. It's like, I, I just want to make it better. Like you just said, it doesn't have the emotional impact that I want. It doesn't have the story that I want. So where is that? Yeah. How, how I got to try it again. Yeah, so. So uh, Patrick, we're out of time and I'm sorry because I love this conversation. I'd love to keep it going, but I want to point people towards patrickwilliamsstaycreative.com if you want to know more about like re-interjecting creativity into your team or like finding it in yourself, which is so important in today's world. Patrick, thank you so much for being on It's Techtastic. I loved having you. I, I would love that, Christian. It was a great conversation. And that's a wrap for this episode of Techtastic. I want to thank you personally for joining us, and we'll see you next time. Until then, keep exploring and stay curious.